here in Santa Ana, uh, have so many people in our church that are so gifted and called and selfless and volunteers that show up week after week to uh, ensure that we can meet here. And so did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, good. Mom, you're full. Still, yeah, me too. We knocked out. Uh, Sire and I finished our leftovers last night at about 9.30. He finished a bunch of turkey. He didn't want to go to sleep, and so he, he polished off everything last night for his second dinner, which was, which, okay, we'll come over and we'll get some more. Well, uh, uh, glad to be here. Uh, excited about this morning. Um, if you haven't been tracking with us, we're at the end of a conversation that we're calling Imago Dei. And, and, and Imago Dei is Latin for the image of God. And, and so, plain and simply, what we're doing this, this month, uh, we've been talking about our identity in Christ. Now, this has been uh, a topic that has really been burning in my soul, uh, if I could be honest, for about 15 years. This is no means a conversation that I'm just like, let's just talk about this. I take this conversation very, very seriously because it's a journey that I've been on. Um, I like to say that I've been wrestling through like who I am in Christ uh, throughout all of my 20s. I'm now halfway into my 30s, and I think I'm just finally getting to areas where I'm able to actually articulate a little bit who I am and what God's called me to, but there's always been this restlessness and this longing and searching and figuring out who I am and going through seasons of comparison and wanting to be like that person and losing myself in the process. Can anybody relate to that? And so it's an important conversation for us to have. It's something worth talking about um, because I think as we talk about Christ emptying himself on the cross as Christ died for us, we know that Christ died for our true self, didn't he? He didn't die for our false self in a sense or in the way that we want others to perceive us the way that we want others to see us. Christ died for our true self. And and so as we develop and grow in relationship with him, um, as I've experienced firsthand, what happens is that as I uh, get to know Christ more, as I pursue a relationship with him, he shows me who I am. He shows me who I am at the core uh, of everything, my weaknesses, my strengths, my giftings, all those kinds of things. And so if you've missed any of our past Messages, I, I would highly encourage you to go listen to them. Um, it would make a lot of sense as we have ended up here. But if you haven't heard any of them, I think this message will stand on its own as well. And I'm hoping that for you as well. But, uh, so today I want to wrap up our conversation talking about your divine calling. And uh, uh, I, want, I want to just caution you and be careful with where we go with that automatically. Because I know for a lot of us, this could be a frustrating topic. Or it could be a topic or a conversation that we just write off, right? Because... A lot of us are under the impression that we know our calling. And so my hope this morning is to debunk uh, everything that maybe you've thought and to set you in a place of discovery, to set you up on a path of this journey in the sense saying that, no, I think when we talk about calling and we talk about purpose, it's really a lifelong journey. It's, it's by no means something that we arrive at to say, I've mastered my purpose, I've mastered my calling, I've arrived and I'm here. Look at the gift I am to this world, right? And so I want to caution us away from that mentality of saying, no, I've figured my life out. I know what everything's about. To actually step back again uh, with the theme of humility to say, okay, maybe a clean slate is a proper place to be. So I want to frame this message around this thought and we'll have it up on the screen. Is that calling is discovered when we embrace who we really are while relying fully on the loving will of God. It's a tension that we sit in, isn't it? There's an honesty about discovery that Jesus wants to show us who we are, but not for our sake, not for our own glory, 
but on the loving will of God. And we have to start there. If we can't start there, we will get off track. We'll take a path this way or this way. And before we know it, we're not looking at Christ anymore. He's no longer our focus. And so we have to remember through discovery, through recognition of true self, it's all grounded on the loving will of God. If we remove that part of it, we will get confused and we will get lost. And we will lose ourselves in the process. And so this is an important topic for us. Because I think it answers uh, two, two, two really good questions that we should never stop asking. The, the first question for us that I hope we will always ask is, who's God? Who's God? I'm not going to spend any time talking about that this morning, by the way, because uh, Amy did a fantastic job preaching on this. She's in kids. I see some of you looking for her. She's in kids serving with our kiddos. Um, she did a fantastic job talking about this in week two of knowing God. Again, go back and listen to it. The second question and what I'm going to uh, uh, set out and answer this morning is, uh, why am I here? Like, why, why am I here? Why? Which is a crazy thought, because if you travel the world at all, and you get out and you experience different cultures, different people, you, re- you really understand, like, yeah, the world's small, but it's actually really big <laughs> at the same time. Um, life, how we experience it here in Orange County, is very different uh, than the majority of the rest of the world. Shocker, I know. And so what really could mess with your head is you travel around the world and you see people in poverty. You see people uh, living in horrible circumstances, uh, in evil circumstances, broken circumstances. And then you also wonder and think about our lives here. It could really wreck you to say, why, why am I here? <laughs> and why are some people over there? Like, that's a whole other tangent we won't get down. But, but I want to I answer that question a little bit. And again, this is, if, you've, if you've been tracking with us these last four weeks, by no means is this a conversation where we're saying, do these eight things and you're good. Like we are saying, no, let's step out onto a road of uh, uh, discovery. Let's, let's journey together through life so we can explore and learn and be challenged and grow into Christ-likeness. Does that make sense? Okay. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, um, We'll be in verses 16 through 22. And uh, uh, as you're turning there, I think the uh, reason why we're going to talk about this and why we're going to look at this passage, I think it would be helpful to look at somebody uh, who, who loved life and who lived life with so much clarity, who lived life with so much certainty in regards to their call. Can you guess who I'm referring to? Thank you. Very, very, uh, Paul, well... He was confused for a lot of the time. But Jesus was certain of his call, and I want to read a passage that will show us what exactly we're talking about. Uh, and so Luke chapter 4, verse uh, 16. Here we go. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. He, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to be set free, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and dropped the mic and sat down. (laughs) Oh, that's not your Bible. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Yet they said, 
Isn't this Joseph's son? I love this passage for a lot of reasons, but specifically why we're sitting in this this morning is because Jesus articulates his calling with clarity and certainty and with an incredible amount of confidence and conviction. And as we've been talking about, if Jesus is our example, if Jesus is saying, follow me, I just got to wonder and believe that Jesus wants the same thing for you. Jesus wants the same thing for me. He wants us to live our lives, to step up in front of people, wherever that may be, whatever platform you might have, whether it's work or school or church or wherever it is, to be able to say what your calling is, your divine purpose is, with clarity and certainty, with confidence and conviction. And so if Jesus lives this way, I think he wants us to. And, and one of the things I find most interesting about this passage, and to be honest with you, I'm a slow learner. Like, let's all, we all know that about me. If you spend any time with life, you're like, you're a slow learner. And I've, I've embraced that fact. But I've read this passage so many times. You know what I've never actually thought about? That in this moment, Jesus articulates for the very first time why he is on earth. And you know how old he is? 30 years old. 30 years old. The son of God for the very first time, was able to articulate why he was on this planet. And so it took Jesus 30 years to work through it. It took him uh, living life. We know that Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. That's a tension that took him some time to figure out, to live in, to balance in. And so being raised up from a young boy, being born in Bethlehem, being raised up in Nazareth, Nazareth, as we were just told, having conversations with people, living in the dynamics of his family, uh, wrestling with God, so to speak. It took him 30 years to articulate his calling. And so when Jesus says this, we've got to remember that as he stands up in the synagogue, these are the people who saw him grow up. These are the people who saw him live life. As Luke says in chapter 2, these are people that Jesus saw day after day spending time in the temple courts asking questions to the priests and religious leaders, debating them. And, 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 and you know, the more we dive into the life of Jesus and the more we understand his life, the totality of his life, he wasn't just debating to debunk. He was debating to learn and discover the heart of God. He was learning through his lens, like the way that he sees the world trying to figure out his calling. And so these moments when he's in Nazareth and he's debating and asking hard questions to those that are above him, the religious leaders, one thing that becomes clear to Jesus in the midst of the wrestling is a clear picture of God. What's the clear picture of God? God's love for humanity. His heart for humanity. And it's with that truth, it's with that foundation that propels Jesus into the direction for him discovering messiahship, that he is actually the son of God. God speaks to him. We see that when he comes over with John the Baptist, baptized, spirit falls on him. And it's that moment of like, oh, this is all starting to make sense. I think it's helpful for us to remember Jesus was human, but he was also God. Sometimes we could always just focus on God, which he should. But he also went through a lot of challenges, a lot of wrestling and self-discovery and growing pains that, that we all do and confusion. And so if it took, and here's my point, okay? If it took Jesus 30 years, the Son of God, to figure out and to articulate his own calling, shouldn't we be a little bit more graceful towards one another? 
shouldn't we maybe not be so hard on ourselves? As maybe you're sitting here today, let's state the obvious. If I, if I were to call everybody out here and have you stand up and ask you what your calling is, maybe you'd be in a place where you'd be like, I have no idea. And could, could we just say that's perfectly okay? <laughs> like, I think we shame each other. We put ourselves in this position of saying, no, like we've got to find this stuff out. But if it took Jesus 30 years, I think we should exercise a little bit of grace over ourselves to say, it's going to take me longer. <laughs> it, it, this is a lifelong thing, but I'm committed to the journey and I'm going to focus my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make some mistakes along the way. I'm going to fumble my way through life. But Jesus is making me into his image. And there will be a day where we can stand up with certainty. I don't know when that might be for you. It'll be different for all of us at different phases and different seasons. And it depends, as we look at Jesus, it depends on our obedience to God at the end of the day. How quick we discover that. But to be able to stand up with certainty and conviction and passion. And say, this is why Jesus put me on this planet. This is why I'm here. And so, I wish that was enough. Like, I, you know, like, all right, we're done. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to leave you hanging high and dry this morning because that's not adequate for this conversation. But, but I want to offer you uh, three things that I see in this passage, and then I'm going to wrap up with some more thoughts that hopefully land the plane together. But three thoughts specifically on th- things that I see here, and I, I say that this is not, there's probably more. Um, But these are three things that I see in this passage in regards to Jesus that will hopefully give you some clarity on your calling. That will set you up on the path and the journey of forward. And and so if these three things work for Jesus, I'm hoping that they will work for you as well. The first thing we see is that calling is always aligned with passion. What are you passionate about? What's the thing that, that gets your blood going? What's the thing that gets you up out of bed? Hopefully, if it's fear most of the time, hopefully there's something else occasionally that gets you out of bed in the morning, that gets you moving. What's, what are you passionate about? What we see about Jesus in a broad terms, Jesus was passionate about truth. That he was passionate about truth. We're told, again, that he would go to the synagogue. In this passage, we're said every Saturday to worship and to read and learn the scriptures. Let's remember that Jesus did not have the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't even canonized until the 5th century. So actually there was a period of 400, 500 years where the New Testament didn't even exist. All they had was relationship. All they had was the resurrection. But for Jesus, what he went to the temple and synagogues to actually wrestle and work through Scripture was the Old Testament. So that's what he pursued. And, And he didn't just do it for knowledge. We have to remember that. But he did it for a desire of transformation. He did, it, he did it out of a desire and a longing to become uh, and, and fulfill his mission in this world. So Jesus would have been reading and studying the Old Testament. And, and we're told that Jesus, from a very young age, would go and he'd debate, and he'd ask questions, and he learned. So it's just a season of molding, a season of, of forming, a seasons of maturity, leading all the way up to the scene that we see in Luke chapter 4. And I think it was through Jesus' passion and love for people that it became clear to him uh, that he just wasn't a normal person like you and me. Uh, that there was a bigger calling on his life. That he was, in fact, the Son of God, the chosen Messiah that was to save the world from their sins. What a crazy calling! What an important calling. And that he would come and he'd feed and he'd clothe the poor and he would restore the broken and the oppressed. 
So Jesus articulates this very plainly and very clearly by, through the words of Isaiah the prophet. And so it's important for us to remember that Jesus had to wrestle through his calling. And I'm going to come back to that again because I think that's one of the most important components to discovering your purpose is wrestling with God. And we're going to come back to what that looked like for Jesus in just a little bit. Number two, uh, calling is sacrificial. This is so important. Uh, uh, this is the resume of Jesus, right? Like there, if there was something that was going to dictate what Jesus would say yes to, what he would say no to, the, the ways that he would spend his time, the things he wouldn't spend his time on, was Luke chapter 4. Right? These verses that we just read, his, this was his resume. And I, I combed through this for like 25 minutes, and I'm like, is there anything in here that serves Jesus first? Is there anything in here that, that, that boosts his own platform? Is there anything in here that we would look at Jesus and be like, wow, look at how amazing he is, in a sense. Nothing in this passage, nothing in this calling of Jesus was meant to promote himself above anybody else. It was 100% sacrificial, meaning it was other people first. It was to lift up those who couldn't lift themselves up. It was to heal those who couldn't heal themselves. It was out of his love, the sacrifice that he made. And so, in fact, I think as we talk about calling, I think one of the easiest ways to eliminate uh, potential callings that you think in your life is to eliminate the things that maybe cause confusion over the things that boost my ego or bring me great comfort. If you're wondering what your calling might be, eliminate the things that boost your ego and give you comfort. You will know that your calling does not lie there because calling is always sacrificial. It costs something. It hurts. It's painful. It means loss. But it's beautiful in the long run. So you're wondering what your calling is. Eliminate things that boost your ego. Eliminate, eliminate things that make you comfortable. Number three, calling is acknowledged by others. This is a fascinating uh, verse for me. Actually, I want to read verse 22 because so often we could naturally ignore what others have to say. Not that everybody has something good to say. We can acknowledge that, right? Not all, all things people say about you is true. But when we talk about uh, be, uh, calling being acknowledged by others, it's being acknowledged by those that know you and love you and love Jesus. Those are always three filters for me, especially in ministry. We get, I, get a lot of, I get a lot of this, right? And I always have to come back to something when somebody's uh, saying something to me that could potentially be harmful or untrue. I have to ask myself, okay, do they know me? Do they love me? And do they love Jesus? If those three boxes check, I'm listening. I'm all in. All right? And so we gotta, we got to make sure not all acknowledgement by others is helpful. It has to be from the right people. But this is what we see in, in verse uh, 22. Let me get there. It says this. They were all speaking well of him. So Jesus gets up and he announces, this is why I'm here with clarity and certainty. And they all sat back and they're like, I mean, it makes sense. I've never seen him sin before. He seems to like live life pretty well. Like they're going through the checklist and thinking about Jesus as they've watched him grow up. Can you imagine looking at somebody and watching them for 30 years? They come up and stand up and say, Hey, 
I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. And you'd sit back in your chair and you'd be like, yeah. It makes sense. This was the response in that moment. They couldn't, I mean, we're told, again, and the prophets speak to this moment, right? They, they could find no accusation against him. His character matched his calling. His personality matched his calling, his temperament. All those components made sense in light of what Jesus was saying. And so it's important to remember that, that we need people to acknowledge our calling. But, however, that doesn't mean they will walk with you in it. Your calling doesn't necessarily mean people will walk with you in it. If we keep reading, which I don't have time for, what happened? Nazareth rejected Jesus. In one moment, yeah, this makes sense. He's the guy we've been waiting for. We all spoke well of him. And just a few short verses later, Jesus uh, looks at his town, looks at his family and friends and be like, you're unwilling. You, you, can't, you don't want to walk with me? You don't want to follow me? You're acknowledging me, but you don't want to walk with me. It, it speaks to the passage you just read in Philippians 2 where it says, one day every knee will bow, one day every tongue will confess, but that doesn't mean that everyone will do it willingly. People that have rejected God their whole lives will one day, according to Paul, pronounce Jesus as Lord and Savior, but that doesn't mean they will follow him. That's a big, that's really important for us to remember. And that's what's happening here. It's already setting the trend uh, for when Jesus will, in fact, come back again. It's the same scene. I'm acknowledging you. I see you. But I'm not willing to do what you want me to do. I'm not willing to be sacrificial. I'm not willing to lay down my life. I'm not willing to be humble. I think my way's better. And that's the scene that's taking place here. So calling needs to be acknowledged by those who know us. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to walk with you. In fact, I think one thing we could be clear on, uh, if, if you're already here and you've, you, you've uh, been able to articulate your calling with clarity and certainty, you know that it's a very lonely place, actually. Uh, because very well, potentially, the thing that God's called you to, he hasn't called somebody else to. So when you find your words and you find your voice and you understand who you are, it can be the most fulfilling thing and the most lonely place. And so it's something, and that's why it's so important for us to be in this together. It's why we are here. It's why we journey together. It's because it's, it could be really hard and really lonely. So after this scene, uh, what we see Jesus doing is he's got three years left in his ministry. He's just getting going. He articulated his call. And what we see happening as Jesus goes on from this place, do you know what happens? His calling leaks out everywhere, everywhere he goes. Jesus is coming back to his calling. And what's so fun, and I started writing, underlining this in my Bible, he doesn't really ever speak to Isaiah anymore, the prophet Isaiah. He used that language because it helped him become credible for the Jewish audience that he was in. But you notice when Jesus is spending time with unbelievers, he actually has his own language. So he goes on and he starts saying things like, I've come to, be ser- I've come to serve, not to be served. Right? I've come, I've come to seek, and I've come to save the lost. I, I've come to give you life, life to the full. I've, I've come not to call the righteous or those that may think they are, but I've come to call uh, sinners to repentance. And so Jesus is finding his voice over the three years. 
that leads him to a place of confidence, that leads him to a place of certainty. And that's what life is like for all of us, isn't it? I don't know if you have those moments where you're like, oh, those are the words I've been searching for. Like, if you spend any time in therapy, that's like what therapy is, right? I've been feeling, or I've been wrestling, or I've been having this weight on me. Oh, to actually say those things feels so good and so right. It actually leaves, it takes a little pressure off me now. This is what Jesus was going through and searching with. And so there's a question that we need to ask now that we've got here. And it's this. What does it mean to be called? So if this is what calling looks like, if it means uh, pronouncing uh, phrases or words with clarity and certainty, with boldness and conviction, what does it actually mean? How do we actually get there? And I think this word calling can be so confusing for a lot of people, especially in the church. Why? Because I think we've overused it and abused it in so many different contexts. I think there's been so many people that are so quick to say, God has called me to this, or God has called me to that. And then people watch from the outside and don't see a lifestyle matching that calling, or see someone like move away from it over like a small period of time where credibility is lost, right? And so this, this idea of being called to this or that can change so many times for people that no longer God's calling is obvious to those watching you. Which we see the life of Jesus Calling is always acknowledged by others. It's always seen and affirmed by those that know you and love you and love Jesus. And so what we've done in the church is that we've overused it, and now it's become almost this sense of boy crying wolf. God's called me to this. Okay, well, you see what I'm saying. So as a result, it's, it's lost all of its credibility. And it's left us in deep confusion. And so we need to recognize, as a caution to the wind, how dangerous it can be to say, and how important it is, but how dangerous it can be to say, God has called me to, you fill in the blank, if he hasn't. That's big. That's a huge mistake. Not that grace doesn't cover this. Not that God's love is not for you. But we have to be so careful how much we throw that out because people are watching our lives. People are putting Christians, Jesus followers, under the microscope, right? Does what you say match your lifestyle? So when we stand up and we say, this is why God has placed me here, we better be willing to walk it out forever. Because God's calling uh, endures through seasons. And this is why it's so helpful. So, so I, I think I've, I've been so careful not to use the word vocation. And I'm going to get there right now. Because what we do in the West is we associate calling with vocation, right? What do you do? What are you about? Well, this is what I do. We talk about our jobs. We talk about the way we spend our time, right? And why this is so dangerous and why this is a mistake for Jesus followers is because our vocation expires. Or you get fired. Or you get laid off. Or something happens. And if you've gotten used to putting your identity and your calling into your vocation, your nine to five, when that's gone, what happens? You've got nothing. You're in deep confusion. You're wrestling with identity. You don't feel like you have any purpose because you've attached your something to something that's temporary. And so, by the way, I, I made this mistake big time. 
I thought my identity was pastor until I didn't have a, a pastor in a church. Not just pastor, pastor in a church. And, and so what, what, what happened is there was a six-month period where I was no longer a pastor in a church. What happened? I went through identity crisis. I was confused. I started cursing God. How dare you take away who I am? Where in reality, God was stripping away the things and the confusion for my life to give me certainty to walk on a path towards discovering who, in fact, I am. That, that like, my calling is much bigger and it's much deeper than pastor. By the way, my calling is so much bigger and deeper than husband. My calling is so much bigger and deeper than dad. Like, my calling enables me to step into those things and, 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 and do really well at those things, but it's not the thing. I shared that with you a couple weeks ago. So what does it mean to be called? I love how Frederick Buechner puts it, and we have it on the screen. And hope I would write this down or take a picture of this because it, it, it provides some guardrails as you search and think about this. He says this, The place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. You already see the parameters here, right? It's no longer about yourself. It's no longer about, not just about making you happy. He says there's a deep passion there, a gladness there. But it's also in correspondence with something that actually meets a need in the world that is far bigger than you. So in other words, our calling is not just what's best for me, but it's what's best for everyone else. And, and, this is, and this is when we read Paul, right, in 1 Corinthians. and We talk about spiritual gifts. What does he always say? The giving of the gifts is for the benefit of all. It's for the benefit of the community. It's for the benefit of the assembly of Christ. So gifts are not meant for the same thing with calling. It's the same thing. And so this is why I would argue that our calling is so much more than our vocation. If we uh, live that there, we know that our vocation, our nine-to-fives are going to expire. Um, and at the heartbeat, as much as you may love your job, uh, and I hope this doesn't seem mean, but you most likely do it to pay your bills, right? Like, I'm not saying that, like, at one point I did ministry, I was a volunteer, and it was great, but let's be honest, I couldn't do this forever and not get paid. Like, I would have to, like, go get another job or something like that and be grumpy for a while, right? <laughs> but, like, at the end of the day, our vocation supports our bills. We do it for getting paid. That's really the deep-down heart motive behind You may love what you do. I'm not discrediting that. But the paycheck's nice. Let's be honest, isn't it? And so, then we hit retirement. And there's a shift in our culture where retirement now is, well, I've done my part. I've, I've, I've lived, I lived my life. I, I, I look at all this. Now life's about me, right? And so we, we see people living this way where retirement really does lead us into a season of selfishness. And so I want to encourage you not to make the mistake and blend your vocation with your calling. Remember, vocation expires, but calling endures. They're two very different things. And when we blend these two together, we're in very, very dangerous waters. Uh, that lead to confusion when Jesus is always about certainty. Let's not make that mistake. Um, and so uh, there, there's a phrase uh, uh, that, that has been irking me. This is, this is going to be a little bit off, and I want to land the plane right after this. Okay? There's a phrase that I think has been irking me a little bit, and I've been wrestling with, uh, and it's this phrase. I, a lot of people say this, and I want to say uh, just a little disclaimer, because you might disagree with me. I understand the heartbeat behind this encouragement. I understand why we say it. 
I understand that it's supposed to speak life into people and encourage people and, and, and help people move on and figure out who they are, but to, to fill people with like boldness and courage. I understand that. Okay? But that being said, we've gotten and we're saying things to people that's a lie. And I just want to caution us as we talk about calling to not be that person. And, and we've got to bring down a little barrier. But here's the phrase. You've probably heard it or someone said it to you. It's this. You can do or be anything you want to do or be. Think about that for a second. Again, I understand the encouragement behind it. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. Think about that for a second. Is that really true? Is that something that's really attainable? Like, can I go out and be LeBron James? No, right? And, and to be credit, again, there's sentiment to it, and there's something about when, you, when you're fulfill, fully living in your calling and you've walked through the seasons, a natural encouragement to somebody that you see that might be stumbling on the way is like, hey, you can do this too. But they may not be able to do what you're doing, so let's not feed a lie, right? Like, because God hasn't just called you to go do whatever you want to do or be whoever you want to be. God's placed you here to do something specific, God's called you to be who you are. So there's a very different message that's happening here. And there are just certain things that certain people can do, and there are other things that other people can't do. And and that speaks against our culture, by the way. Our culture is the opposite, right? It's just not helpful. And I I like to think about this in the sense of three different... I had a a leadership coach say... um, Every, everybody could be broken up into three categories as far as the way you live your life. You're, you're either a pioneer, you're either a developer, or you're a sustainer, right? So pioneers plow. They're, they're going, stepping into uncharted. They're like the entrepreneurs of life, right? Like the Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, those type of people that are like, they're seeing things and they're dreaming bigger than we could ever get and, and then everybody else kind of gets in line with them and follows them through the field, right, as they plow the way. Then there are developers, these are people that, like, in a sense of a house, right? The pioneers may, like, have an idea of what this could look like. The developers get in, and they build this house, and they, they move things around. They put, they put couches in there, and they decorate it, and, and they do all these cool things, and then they get bored. Like, all right, there's nothing for me to develop anymore. Then the sustainers will come along, and they keep it up, right? They keep it beautiful. They, they, they keep a certain culture in there. Uh, and so... Everybody in here falls in line with one of those three phases. You're either a pioneer, a developer, or a sustainer. If you don't know what you are, ask someone that knows you and loves you and loves Jesus. They'll tell you what you are. And so, so again, there are just certain things that certain people can't do. So it's important recognizing your lane. It's important recognizing, are, am I running in a lane that I'm actually not gifted in? Am I, like, am I in a pioneer role or whatever? Maybe you're not supposed to be there. But I've shared this before. I, I wanted to be a professional baseball player uh, for most of my life. I thought I was good enough until I got to Edison High School and realized I wasn't. And a coach actually sat me down and said, you're not good enough. Like, you can't be on this team. Right? And so I had to come to the recognition, like, wow, that desire is there. I thought I was pretty good, but I'm not. And so it's, it'd be foolish of me to, like, keep trying, right, and, 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 and pursuing something that's just not a reality in my life. And so I came up to that realization and realized I just can't, I can't do this well. I need to refocus my attention on what I can do well. I mean, remember American Idol? This is why I watched American Idol. And this is how they got big. And this is how they got famous. Why? Because they attracted people that thought they could be the next star. 
And guess it got worse. They've been told their whole lives that they were good. And they couldn't sing, right? Like, they, my mom told me my whole life, like, how beautiful my voice is. And they're like, you stink. It's awful. What are you doing with your life? And it was so fun to watch. Remember William Hung, right? Like, this guy. He would have made a career out of it, but he's awful still. But, like, I, if you think about it, I, I felt I, bad for them. Are, are, are some of them still dealing with that, right? Like, they've been told a lie. They were literally told you can do or be anything you want to do or be. And they came to a place to recognize, oh, I can't do that. And I'm, I'm assuming they left American Idol that day, walking in, feeling on cloud nine, left in deep confusion and having an identity crisis. Well, what am I going to do with my life? Who am I? I thought I was that, but I'm not. And so it's important for us uh, that we need to understand that God has a unique path for you. And, and I think this is encouraging for you because I think uh, part of the fun with life is figuring that out. What's, what's the unique path that God has for me? What are the things God has put in me that he hasn't put in anybody else? And imagine uh, uh, how powerful and beautiful and risky and dangerous your life can be once you find that place and you find your lane and live in yourself and live in the calling. And again, calling comes from self-awareness. You've got to know yourself and understanding who you are, your personality, your character, your strengths, and your weaknesses. And if there was anything that I would want uh, you to take away from this conversation, um, it's this, that, that Jesus discovered his calling through relationship with the Father. It was his commitment to that relationship with his Father. And so you can only discover who you are with a deep, genuine relationship with Jesus that's costly, it causes you to step out of comfort, uh, and it leads you away from a life that, uh, uh, that, that glorifies itself. And so I find it interesting that Jesus, before he steps up and announces uh, his calling, you know where he came from? The desert, the wilderness, where he wrestled with God for 40 days. And it's in the desert that we are told, and we see in this story, that Jesus specifically wrestled with God over his identity. Who am I? Why have you placed me here? And the devil tempted Jesus the same way he tempts you and me today. To embrace our false self. To embrace power. To embrace prestige and possessions. This is the message that the devil preached to Jesus. This is the message that he preaches to you and to me. And Jesus was clear about who he was through relationship with the Father where he was able to choose his true identity and not give in to the call that success is what life's all about. Prestige is what life's all about. Power is what life's all about. He was able to call life for a lie and say that's not the path of God. The path of God is service and humility. And so this is why Jesus was able to live with certainty. This is why he stood up in the synagogue on that Saturday. It's because he went and wrestled with God for 40 days. Me, I've been wrestling with God for about 20 years. And what have I learned? I want to share with you um, the things that God's teach me about my life, the calling that he's placed in my life. And you can't know how amazing it feels to be able to be like, I can articulate my calling now to the people that I'm leading, the people that I'm pastoring, 
Because before I would have said I'm a pastor. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> I found my language. And, and this came out of a place, uh, um, really a journey, I think, about five years ago, where I was just busy in ministry. I was uh, trying and working my tail off to, to get approval from senior pastors and to be able to thought to be worthy of being a pastor and that people would look at me and be like, look how great he is. Look at the size of the church. Look at the size of the minute. Whatever that is, that success, that prestige, that power that creeps its way into ministry, just like any other place, by the way. And I couldn't ever get to a place to actually do my wrestling with God, to do the deep work, until that was stripped away for me to be able to actually say, oh, my calling isn't being a pastor. Oh, my calling isn't just to be a husband or be a father. My calling plays into those things. And so what I did is I started with what am I passionate about. And by the way, I got away, what was that, about a few months ago? Uh, This is all pretty fresh, you guys. A few months ago, I just told Jesse, I just need a day to wrestle with God. And so I went to a retreat center, and I pretty much spent nine hours complaining and griping to God. And, and, and almost just frustration and confusion, right? Like, like who am I? <laughs> what do you want me to be? How can I actually live in peace? And, and, you know, so, uh, and it was there that I felt like God kind of just prompted my spirit and really asked the question, what, are you, what do you enjoy most? And you know what I said? I wrote down relationships. Relationships. Relationships are the thing I enjoy most. And then I stumbled on this quote by Don Williams, uh, a respected theologian, who said, Relationships are the meaning of life. Relationships are the meaning of life. And then I wrestled a little bit with that and figuring out stuff and started piecing some things together in my life and why, in fact, I enjoy being a pastor, why, in fact, I love being a husband, why I get so much fulfillment being a dad. And I wrote down my purpose statement, and after much editing and simplicity, I said this, God has placed me on this planet to journey with people through seasons of life. God has placed me, Mike, factoring in my personality, factoring in my character, my temperament, all the things that are true about me, to journey with people through seasons of life. You know what's beautiful about that purpose statement? I don't need this to do that. I don't have to, I don't have to be seen as a pastor to do that. I could do that Anywhere, anytime, sickness or health, rich or poor, I get to sit with people and journey with people through seasons of confusion, seasons of uh, sickness, divorce, struggles, birth. And it's so fun for me now to actually be heading to a meeting and be like, this is why God's called me here. This is why he's placed me on this planet. Like, I don't see a coffee as just a coffee anymore. Like, I don't just see it as something that's interrupting my day. I've got something better to do. No, 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 no. Like, actually, this is why I'm here. Like, God has placed me on this planet to go have coffee with somebody and just sit with them. It's been the most freeing thing, you guys. And I want to encourage you to step out on the same journey, to step on the same path, for you to really write that down. What is it? Because it's going to clarify so much in you. It'll show you how you spend your time and what you shouldn't spend your time on. So what about you? I want to encourage you to wrestle with God in solitude, just like Jesus did, and do it until you find clarity and certainty. 
I don't know how long that season might be for you, but I think it's really worth your time. Uh, Deggy, come on up, buddy. So, uh, it was a really rocky ending, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, so I just want, I just want, I hope, I hope this is something that we can do together. I hope this is something that hopefully if you, if, you know, the beginning of this message you felt a little angst or you felt a little confusion about like, oh yeah, my calling has been my vocation or whatever it is that, that now you may be in a place of more, a little bit more excitement and, 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 and ready and eagerness to, to do this, right? To figure this out because you're more than an employee, you're more than a wife, you're more than a husband, you're more than a mom or a dad, you're more than a single person. In fact, for those of, for those of us single in the room, I'm not, but for the sake of inclusivity, it's actually, I want to just tell you, like you, don't, like, you don't need a spouse to find your calling. In fact, I think you're in a sweeter spot. That if you're single, you actually have the ability to discover who you are before you ever meet somebody because that will probably change who you pick. It will probably change the way you live your life. It'll probably bring a lot more intentionality, most, more than, and I'm speaking for like single guys. <laughs> Sorry, Sean. Where, where we could just be in a place, I'll speak for me, where we're just like, anybody that wants me, I'm in. We're like, no, 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 right? Like, it, it really does kind of get us in a place where it allows us to make right decisions and be thought through and so if you're single I would encourage you're in a really good spot to make that happen so let me pray for you would you stand we'll worship so Jesus we uh, end uh, this time together in the scriptures where we began saying we love you and I just recognize Lord that um, the people in this room, you have a divine calling to. You haven't forgotten anybody. You didn't make a mistake with anybody. You've placed every single one of us on this planet because you have a unique role for us. You have a unique calling for us. And so, Father, my prayer in Jesus' name, first and foremost, would, 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 would we all pursue a relationship with you first? Would not just get parts of us or pieces of us, but you'd have all of us that this would be a daily wrestling with you, that we'd create space for you to speak and show us. And Lord, I pray for those here, God, that, 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 that this just seems like a too big of a burden to worry about right now. I've got other things that are pressing in my life that I don't have the time to step into this. Lord, I pray that you would speak against that in their hearts right now. That if there's any unwillingness, that your Holy Spirit would come in and invade and take over. And recognize, no, this is, this is probably the best thing we can do with our lives. So I pray, Father, that you would give us certainty about who we are. I pray that you speak calling, calm, restless feet, or wandering minds, and help us to be present with you. As we worship, we adore you, we long for you, make us more like you, Jesus. In your name.